0: Hi, this is Zibby Owens, and you're
1: listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Have Sex. This weekly podcast features three questions answered by international expert Tracy Cox, the author of 17 books, including her most recent book, Great Sex Starts at 50. In fact, if you want that book, you can go to chroniclebooks.com and use promo code GREATSEX at checkout for 30% off. So if you want Tracy's latest book, Great Sex Starts at 50, Enter great sex at checkout on chroniclebooks.com. Now, enjoy our three questions. And if you want to submit your own questions, go to slash sex and anonymously enter questions you'd like Tracy to answer. Now, enjoy, get excited. And if you find you loved this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating, write a review. It all helps. And if you really love the way I do this podcast, check out Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, plus Wake Up and Write for more podcast fun. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Have Sex. It's going to be a fun one today. I can't wait for the first question. I am so excited. Okay, I'm stealing myself for some of (laughs) these ones today. Okay, here we go. Question number one. I've just split from my partner and back out there dating again. Just when I thought I'd never have to stare at a stranger's ceiling again, here I am. I'm up to speed on online dating, but what's the etiquette with pubic hair now? Do, do I have to take it all off? I've always found the completely hairless thing a bit creepy, not to mention hard to maintain. <laughs> Go
2: ahead. You know what? My I used to get Brazilians, and when I first met my husband, he took one look at it and he was like, oh my God, he was just horrified. He hated it. And he <laughs> doesn't understand why adult like adult women try to look like prepubescent girls. He finds it completely creepy. But we need to remember that pubic hair, before we even talk about all this, actually has a purpose. Like it's there for a reason. It protects the vulva against, you know, like dirt and debris. It, keep, it regulates our body temperature actually in a big time way. How, how, it, much, how
1: much debris are we really fighting off down there? What kind of debris <laughs> is... <laughs>
2: You were You were running through trees and bushes, and you know, back then there was a lot of stuff. You had to sticks and stones and wild beasts, all sorts of stuff. And so it does do all that, and it actually keeps the bulb nice and moist. So, and, and I noticed that when I was getting Brazilian. So anyway, too much information. <laughs> but the whole Tibet. But we've been removing pubic hair since the ancient Romans, right, and the Greeks. So it's been going on an awfully long time. So it's probably going to not go away sometime soon except now to bear or not to bear is quite political and divisive because women do not like being told what to do with their bodies so we might actually get to a point where we're not having to go through all this stuff but in the meantime I think to answer the question about whether it's the norm or not the norm I kind of need to know the age group because with young girls about half of all US and UK women remove all of their hair completely hairless no and then- Yeah, absolutely. Young women.
1: All hair completely.
2: All hair completely. They're obsessed with it. My stepdaughter's 20. She was around the other night and I asked them because I knew we were going to be talking about it. And they just all said that we don't even think about it. Everybody just rips it all off. There is no alternative and we just have to go along with it or else we'd be seen as freaks. And, and, and they hate it because let's face it, it's time consuming. It's expensive. It's irritating when it grows back. You know, if you wax, you get ingrown hairs. If you shave, you get all sorts of irritations. And it's humiliating. I used to have this woman come around to my house to do my nails, a beauty therapist. and one minute, we'd be sitting at the dining room table and talking about having a cup of tea and talking about all sorts. Next minute, I'd be on all fours, right? <laughs> in the rug in my living room, completely naked from the waist down and she'd be behind me looking where she shouldn't be looking it was the most ridiculous scenario I felt embarrassed and I I get really get embarrassed about stuff like that so I was more than happy to not have to go through it I have to say young men also remove all their pubic hair apparently and the reason why they do it is because it makes their penis look bigger because you can see right down further it does actually it's an optical illusion it does make it look bigger so that's why but of course the main reasons why women remove their pubic hair is two things number one they think that it makes oral sex easier because no one's getting hairs in their mouth right which it probably does Number two is scent. Now, hair traps the scent. Women see this as a bad thing. Most men see this as a good thing because when we are aroused, we set off pheromones and it's not a scent per se. It's not an awful smell. You can't actually smell them, but they are really work on our olfactory systems to arouse us. And and the scent that you give off when you're aroused is really, really strong and it's quite an erotic scent. So you're, you're not doing yourself a favor by actually taking all your hair off because it turn so men off and I rang a professional waxer to find out what she said because she and she said 80% of the men that she waxes the back of ew, said they preferred women to leave the pubic hair on but all of the women were the ones that wanted it off they want it off and it's to do with this obsession with you know having to have you know like this fear of having a vagina that smells or it's not clean or you know we need to move past all this and there is another reason to cancel that waxing appointment, which most people don't know, is that it can make you more susceptible to catching an STI like HPV or herpes, because it, it there's, we get little micro tears in the vaginal lining and the vaginal skin, and it makes it too easy for a virus to get in. So that is another thing to think about. Also, I don't think that anyone you know depending on I don't know what age you're at, but whether you're young or you're old if somebody sleeps with you and then they have this you know absolute reaction to you having loads of hair like a big old 80s bush or something or no hair at all I honestly don't think it's going to make that much difference I really don't so I think it's very much a personal thing completely up to you so yes it can make it feel cleaner yes it can make oral sex easier but yet yeah, lots of men don't like it and can you be bothered I feel like Brazilians are a young thing. I certainly couldn't be bothered now. And another thing I want to say about this question is because of the fact that you've gone from a long-term relationship to suddenly dating again, worry less about pubic hair, worry more about condom use because you are exactly the person that ends up not wearing a condom because we wear condoms when we're younger because we're worried about pregnancy. But if we come out of a long-term relationship and maybe pregnancy is not such a big deal or you're less scared of it, suddenly people think, oh, that all that safe sex stuff that was in my youth. Well, STIs are rife in that age group. So you need to be really careful.
1: Hmm. I was kind of wondering, like, what was everyone else doing during the pandemic? Like, nobody was going out <laughs> for Brazilians. And I was like... Honestly, it was a big, trending thing on so much social media, the fact that everybody was growing their pubic hair. And
2: the other thing was that everyone thought that once lockdown finished, all the waxing salons would be packed with people getting bikini waxes. And there was a distinct lack of interest. Everybody went for the eyebrows, but no one went for the... So, I, I mean, I'm all for not having to do all that stuff. I mean, trim, yeah. And and down the side of my legs, I do. But the thought of having to go back to all that again, no, thank you very much.
1: Okay. Very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I wonder as a mom, like what you're supposed to advise your kids on this. Like, am I supposed to, is this my responsibility to be like educating my kids as they grow up, like what they should be doing to handle this issue? Do you have any What's that? Have I have two daughters and two sons. I'm sure they actually would oh, be yeah. horrified with my talking about it. But like, you know, just the way that we're like, here, honey, here's how you shave your legs. You know? <laughs> is this yeah. what, else, what? Is this like on the menu that I have to be like, um, okay, well, yeah, you do. Eighty percent, according to Tracy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And I think you should be pointing out that it actually puts them at risk of STIs and that it's up to them. It's their body hair. They can do what they like with it and not to feel pressured into it. Because I hated hearing my stepdaughter say that. It was just they all said "Oh, we hate doing it. It was like, well, stop doing it. If you stop doing it, then other girls will stop doing it. Like somebody needs to make a stand, don't they? Yes. So, yeah, I think you should be talking about stuff like this. I know it's embarrassing and the kids would go, ooh, but they'll then go away and think about it and you'll have planted that thought, you know?
1: One day I will tell you the story of when I told my kids about the birds and the bees and how much of a nightmare (laughs) that ended up being. (laughs) But I'll do that for another time. Okay. Question two, how often should I be having sex? Is once a week enough? Some of my friends say they're having it three times a week. Are we being pathetic only doing it weekly?
2: Well, I can answer this in one sentence, which is find your normal, in that seriously don't worry about what your friends say don't worry about what the the statistics say if you and your partner are happy with the amount of times you're having sex that is all that matters because what's normal for one couple and what's normal for another one you know once a day is normal for one couple and once a year might be normal for another so it's all to do with your resting libidos it's all to do with you know what else is going on the Asian stage of your relationship what else is going on in your life all of these things affect how often you have sex But and there is a lot of research on this though they do put you know sex research is funny they'll put loads of research into some areas like frequency and nothing into others and so I looked up all the research for you and it is very contradictory right so for daily sex do you remember that book Zippy called 365 nights a memoir of intimacy it was all about a couple who had sex. I missed I missed that one (laughs) But it was about a couple who had sex every single day for a year. Every single day. They missed two days. I think it was one or two days. And the only reason why was that she was vomiting with some horrible food bug, right? Every single day. And at the end of this, they said they felt less stressed, they felt less angry, and they loved sex more, right? Now, I read that book and I thought, that is such a big ask, daily sex for most couples. It really is and it conflicts i mean hundreds of journalists have tried tried it out afterwards and and everybody ended
1: up with the same result that it,
2: no daily sex is not Wait, what you're those saying
1: hundreds are. of journalists read this book and then they all went out and had sex every single yeah. day well they
2: tried to and <laughs> right they did it for yeah. love so not maybe not hundreds but loads of people did it and there's been other books but one other study asked couples who had sex six times a week six times a month sorry to double it and have sex 12 times a month and the results were disastrous the couples hated it. They found it all too much pressure. They were way happier with before. They were arguing. So, you know, it is, again, going back to that, it's all about the couple. But I think daily sex is, isn't is realistic for most people. Now, three to four times a week, there was a lot of, there was a very reputable study done on this by three very well-respected US scholars, one of which was Pepper Swartz. I don't know if you know her, but she's a brilliant writer. And they decided that they looked at hundreds and hundreds of surveys that of couples, and they decided that three to four times a week was the perfect amount. But to do this, you have to be in the peak of health. You've got to be young. You've got to be going through a really good time in your relationship. You've got to have a strong libido. You've got to have no young kids running around. You've got to be highly motivated. So in my experience, most couples don't tick all
1: those boxes. They really the, don't. are 12 I mean, couples who check those boxes are right. having a great time. Yeah.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
2: I mean, seriously, I think three to four times a week, four. I mean, this is, if you're young and you're 18, you just got back together, you know, or just got with somebody, of course, you're going to be having sex every day. But I'm talking about the average couple who isn't in that stage. So I think that that is unrealistic. The category that most couples fall into is the category that this woman has written to us about once a week and couples feel really ashamed about it and they shouldn't be ashamed because it's not a failure it actually works out very well for most couples because it is once a week is enough to make sure that you're reaping all those wonderful emotional and physical benefits of having regular sex. And it's enough to keep you interested. Because if you have it any less than that, you tend to forget how good sex is and you lose motivation. But it's just the right amount. And it's not too much of a, like, oh, my God, how are we going to find time for this? So it's perfectly normal to have sex once a week. And, in fact, another study they did with 2,400 married couples compared couples who do it four times a week with couples who do it once a week and the couples who did it once a week I'm sorry four times a week were no happier they were no happier having it more often so once a week is in fact the magic number so there feel happy thank you
1: okay thank you for that data and information I think though what about if you used to be having it much more often and then like don't you think that part of it is like the trend like what if Well, maybe that's a total, that's a question for another episode, but isn't it like, you know, shouldn't you be, shouldn't warning flares go up if it used to be say once a week and then it turns to like once a year or like, what do you do if it like suddenly drops off? But maybe that's totally separate.
2: No, that is complete warning sign. Change in anything in, in the whole of life is a warning sign. So if you only had it once a year, then that's normal for you. But if you, yeah, suddenly had go from having it five times a week to once a week, you want to be asking questions Why? I mean, it does naturally decline as you stay together longer. It does uh, over time. But if it's a sharp decline, yes, you need to have the conversation and find out why that is because there will be a reason.
1: Okay. Question number three. I never want sex unless I've had some wine. It relaxes me and gives me confidence. Is this wrong? My new partner gets annoyed with me, but I find it difficult to get in the mood unless I've had a few.
2: Well, I think plenty of couples listening to this have the odd glass of wine before they have sex. It is a definite confidence booster. It makes you lose your inhibitions. And in fact, there was a study that they did in Helsinki where they measured the levels of testosterone in women's bloodstreams after they'd been drinking. And they found that their testosterone levels were higher. And given that testosterone governs our libido and our desire for sex, so it actually does make put you more in the mood. It really does. It's not just our imagination. On the other hand, so that's a couple of drinks, right? But if you go the other way and it's three or more drinks, four drinks, five drinks, it all tips horribly wrong. And one reason why is that alcohol affects our mood so much. And in the beginning with a couple of drinks, you're all happy and carefree and all, life's lovely, but people very quickly go dark. They really do. And sex makes us vulnerable. So often the two too many drinks with sex can be a bad combination. Physically, it's a bad combination because he loses his erection. His erection gets all wobbly. And that lovely numb sensation, which is what we're aiming for with a drink to relax, is actually your nerve endings being numbed. So sensitivity decreases and people often find it difficult to orgasm because you can't feel anything, right? And having had drunk orgasms and sober orgasms, I can tell you, sober orgasms are much more intense. They're much more intense. So... If one or two drinks and your partner also enjoys it is fine, you know, it's absolutely fine. It's like the whole world does. And my my friend Henry always cracks me up and he always says, how do people have sex when they first meet if they don't drink? Like, I just don't understand because it's so, it's so terrifying. He just cannot understand how anyone would be able to do that sober. But I'm gathering with this question, it sounds to me like your partner doesn't drink or you drink way more than your partner. So it's not a happy combo. And the thing about only wanting drunk sex is that it limits your sex life because you can't have morning sex because you're not drunk. You can't have afternoon sex because you're not drunk. And it limits the type of sex that you have because the sex that you have when you're drunk it's very different than the sex you have when you're sober. Like when you're drunk, you are more likely to try something a, bit, a little bit more risque. But when you're sober, you've got more energy and you're more likely to say, okay, well, let's have sex in another room or let's go outside and have sex or let's try this challenging new position. So you're limiting yourself. It's also slightly insulting to your partner if you can only have sex strong because he's thinking... Does she not fancy me? Does she hate the sex that we're having if she has to get drunk every single time?
1: I'm like imagining uh, this couple like about to get into bed and like one of them has like the alcohol bottle and the shot glass and they're just like shooting back shots. (laughs) Okay, fine, I'm ready.
2: (laughs) Honestly, you have no idea how many women will only have drunk sex or feel like they need to be drunk to have sex. It's quite alarming. And of course it does ring alarm bells because... Having to be drunk to do anything means you're dependent on alcohol. And that's not a great thing. And and I mean, I love a drink. But if my partner said that to me, I would find it a bit of a wake up call. So I would say also that you need to think about what's making you anxious. You know, if you have to drink before you have sex, what are you anxious about? Is it your body? You know, are you worried about your body image? Is it because you're worried about your techniques not good? Is it because you actually don't like sex that much, never have done? And maybe the, you know, the alcohol isn't because, oh, it puts me in the mood. It's actually because it's something you hate doing and it makes it, feel better. So, you know, look at all of those factors and and tackle them and challenge them and maybe go and see a sex therapist. Maybe you've been brought up in an environment that, you know, you don't feel great about sex and you were told that sex was bad or dirty or all those sort of things. And then I would try to learn how to arouse yourself without alcohol. And the way that most women do this is by reading or watching something sexy now that might be reading a sexy book it might be watching some erotica it might be you know anything that can create this fantasy in your head so that when you are having sex with a long-term partner or actually this guy sounds quite new so you should not actually be needing it at this point but you have a fantasy that you can go to that you know arouses you and then the other thing I would do is I'd take baby steps I wouldn't just stop having alcohol at you know completely i would just start to drink less and drink less and then maybe have a big kissing session without you know totally sober maybe have an oral sex session where you give it to them where they give it to you where you're sober and before you go into the full whole session without and you know that's not to say you're not going to be drunk some of the times or not drunk but you know having had a few some of the times and sober other times so at least if you could have a mix of it and who knows you might prefer sober sex i mean in lots of ways it's better
1: I wonder what the corollary here is for CBD or drugs in general, or what do you think about that?
2: There's a lot of stuff on weed, smoking marijuana. I mean, consistently at every single survey you see on all the research shows that people who smoke weed have really good sex, that they're able to, I mean, I've smoked weed and had sex and I found it a bit weird because it made me so paranoid. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, it's not legal. I'm probably going to get arrested now. But in that country
1: that it is legal, California, of course, I was, Is it, it's legal in California, isn't it? I feel like it's legal everywhere now. I can't even keep track. Every day it's another state is like, yeah, okay, it's fine. Yeah. But it can, I mean,
2: it made me paranoid, but I I reckon, you know, I mean, marijuana is so useful for so many things, but the, yeah, the statistics and the research are that lots of people who smoke weed on a regular basis have really good sex. So not to encourage anyone because it does so many awful things to you, but yeah, the stats are good on that. But most people, I'd say most people who drink end up having a few drinks before they have sex. But a lot of women are like the person who wrote in and they become very dependent on only ever having drunk sex. And I think it stems back to insecurities and confidence issues and body image issues. So you do need to tackle it.
1: I'm sad. Our three questions are up. That was so fun. I love listening to you talk. This is like so entertaining for me. Okay. What is your sex tip of the week?
2: All right. My sex tip of the week is don't be greedy. You can't have great sex all the time. And I think that people really worry and think that sex has to be amazing every single time. But the research on this is that even couples who rate their sex life as absolutely fantastic, Only out of every 10 times they have sex, only have fantastic sex two to three times. They have five times out of the 10 sex is nice and satisfying, but not like particularly out of this world. The other two or three times it's plain boring. And if you're not having bad sex, you're not trying new things. So, you know, if sex is still kind of the same every single time, it's because you're having the same sex all the time. So it's okay to have a bad sex session and don't. it's not going to be fantastic all the time. Of course, it's not. Nothing is. So don't get funny about it. Don't get paranoid.
1: (laughs) That's my tip for the week. Even if you're smoking. Smoke loads of weed. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that there's any difference, though, in, like, these over-the-counter, like, CBD gummies and all that stuff? Like, what do you think about all that? I think, I mean, gummies in places, it's it's LA, isn't it, that it's legal? Because what's that, that store,
2: that amazing store? I can't remember. My Mad friends have bought gummies. Movie. Yes, that's it, Mad Men. And they bought gummies and had awful reactions, like just went, oh, these, this, these look so innocent, and then ended up off their faces. And there was some famous actor who ended up taking a gummy before he went to an award show and ended up falling over. <laughs> that guy, what's his name? Was, oh, he's, anyway, I will remember later. So I think you need to be really careful. They're not as innocent as they look. Wow. The one that doesn't make you get stoned yeah there is a little bit of evidence about that i mean there's certainly some evidence that the gels that like like vaginal gels like orgasm gels and stuff that contain that can lead to a a better orgasm so Hmm.
1: they're worth trying wow orgasm gels who knew okay (laughs) (laughs) okay All right. Well, awesome. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks for our latest episode. I'm excited for the next one. And thanks. Same time next week. Same time <laughs> next week. See you back here once a week. Just like we were talking about. We're like on the same frequency with our episodes. Oh my God. Hilarious. Okay. bye Bye. thanks for listening to moms don't have time to have sex if you want more listen to moms don't have time to read books and moms don't have time to lose weight plus wake up and write thanks for listening don't forget please leave a review rate subscribe all of that good stuff that helps this podcast get on the charts